You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Token Theater, friends. I'm Jose Solis. If you're new here, we welcome you to a community of BIPOC critics and journalists love the performing arts so much that we put together a web series and a podcast almost every week where we get to review shows and talk to some of our favorite artists. We are completely crowdfunded, which means that we would really appreciate it if you became one of our contributors on Patreon. You can join starting at $1 and that will ensure that you get our weekly newsletter with recommendations and bonuses, as well as extra goodies on Patreon. Today, I'm going to be talking to Darrell Alejandro Holness, the playwright of Black Feminist Video Game, as well as director Victoria Cuyado. Victoria and Darrell have put together this incredible immersive experience combining YouTube chat, video games, and education on how to be a better feminist. So I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I am the game's creator, Miss Margaret O. I say, I am all that and a bag of chips. Victoria Collado and Darrell Alejandro Holmes, welcome to Token Theater, friends. I'm very happy to uh, have you both here. And to get started, can you tell our listeners and our viewers what Black Feminist Video Game is? Black Feminist Video Game is about a biracial teen uh, named Jonas who has to figure out love on the spectrum and Black feminism at an early age. Um, And he, uh, with his friend, decides to play a video game that will help him navigate all of these different elements in his personal life, IRL. I I thought it was so cool because I I went to the very first performance a couple of days ago. 
And I was so excited because like we were, there's like an interactive element on YouTube where you're like in the chat. And then I was typing some answers while Hector was like asking questions. And I was like, I don't know what's gonna happen. And then like suddenly my name was on my TV. And it was like one of the first times since, you know, since the pandemic sent us home that I felt like I was, you know, that the, that the artists could feel my reaction. And I wanted to talk to you about, about that. And Victoria, like when you, when you first get the script, how do you imagine the, the way that this world that Jonas has would expand and how you were able to bring our, I don't know, like our interactions and our feelings onto the play as well? Yeah, I, I think, so the, the play has evolved a lot. Uh, when we first, when I first met Daryl, the play was for the stage. And a lot of the, um, the stage directions are meant for the stage. So a big portion of our conversation was like, well, what does it mean now when we actually have to sit down, right? Like, how are we actually guiding this? And how do we actually feel the audience um, that they know that they're actually interacting, <laughs> that there's a real, like we actually can watch you and that it's not a fake um, relationship. And so um, Julia uh, Frey, who's one of our designers, she's the streamer. She did a lot of research on the Twitch and um, how, how uh, people use chat onto the stream and so we were it was a little bit of a of a process of figuring out okay when do we let you see that we can see you um is it there the whole time is it not and the concept really came from like jonas uh wants to show you his world and wants to has you has control of your world right now because you're spending an hour with him and so then everything that you see in the play it's like he's either taking you to his desktop to show you a flashback or he's just seeing that he's calling you out <laughs> or he's interacting with you. And that was one of the, the most fun challenges I say, I think um, in the entire piece. And Daryl did such a good job at just kind of delineating where he thought that there would be like the perfect place to bring in the audience. And I don't want to disappear again into isolation, like into that glass box. I can't break myself into that, that glass box. I can't break myself out of. You know, only 5% of people with autism get married. The, most of us don't even get to go out on a date. Daryl, are you like a big video game fan in general? Because I was, I was, when I was watching this, like I just had had a conversation with my baby brother who's 32. And because I'm currently in my home country in Honduras and I went to see a, a show the other day and he was like, theater is for snobs. And yet he spends most of his free time sitting in front of a computer with his headset on, playing, I don't know what, like I feel like his grandpa, cause I don't even know what he's doing, but he's like always playing and talking to people. And when I was watching Black Feminist video game, I was like, are you like a huge video game fan? Or was this also just like a way for you to be able to invite people that maybe feel sometimes that theater is for snobs. And this is like the right way to like attract new audiences, so to speak. You know, for me, it's both, I'll say, and I'm so, grateful that you asked that question because I grew up playing video games all the time and was able to build a community out of that. Uh, and I've 
kept in touch with that community. And even though I spend most of my time in theater, most of my time in poetry, most of my time teaching, uh, I've been able to stay connected to gaming because of the community, right? Because of my friends that have continued to flourish and thrive because of gaming and in the gaming community. And one such friend is Che Rose, whose company Cookout Games designed the video game. And I'm so grateful to have him and his, and his team, including Jocelyn Short, the illustrator, as a part of this project, because for me, Che is one of my video game gurus. When I'm like, okay, so I'm playing Zelda. How do I go here? How do I do that? I pick up the phone and I call Che, you know? Sometimes he'll send me a Twitch video and be like, this is how you do it. And uh, because we have that relationship, I've been able to bring all of that knowledge and a bit of that dynamic into the play. And I'm so grateful to Cookout Games for being a part of this journey uh, because it really transcends the video game into you know, the making of the, of the play and the thinking of the play as well. Victoria, what about you? Were you like a huge video game person growing up? Or like a candy crush at least? <laughs> well, um, I do love a good, a, a good like uh, candy crusher, Sudoku kind of stuff on the phone. But I was a, a huge Super Mario's fan. And I was like, my favorite thing to do as a kid was like take out the, 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 the cassette. That's the only word I have. And blow, like blow on it and put it back. That was like, I felt like the Game Boys and all of that. And so honestly, the fact that it was a 90s game made me feel so comfortable because I think that if we would have done something a little bit more Call of Duty, I would have, that's where my relationship with video games ended. I was like, oh, I don't know where to go. Um, so Mortal Kombat, Super Mario, Tetris, that was my jam as a kid. Donkey and, Kong. Donkey Kong. <laughs> All of those were. I love the one with the with the duck hunt where you had like a little yes. like, rifle mm. or whatever, like a shotgun, and a dog would like come out. Yeah, um, something that that struck me as very interesting, something that I had never thought about when I was watching the show, and it was that near the end, there's one of the characters says something along the lines of like how this gaming community is a safe space, and within there i mean yeah sure like maybe your character is gonna get in trouble and maybe you can like die like a thousand times but you're safe you're home you know you know not, nothing i hope nothing technically can happen to you at home and i would love for you to talk a little bit about that i don't think i'd ever heard that before like in fact i can be very judgmental like even with my brother i'm like go out have some fun and i forget that we you know he lives in one of the most dangerous cities in the world. So can you talk a little bit, uh, can you talk a little bit about how this gaming community was a representation of like an ideal, almost safe space? You know, a lot of my gaming friends are also black and we've been talking in the last maybe two or three years specifically about how gaming has allowed us more agency um, over how we're perceived uh, than society has allowed us in real life. Um, and thinking about the recent cases of police brutality in particular, right? Um, and even uh, Karen's calling out a black man for walking his dog in, or sorry, 
it was Karen walking her dog and you know, she called the police on the black man because he said, put her on a leash or whatever. That happened blocks from my house. And um, walking around my neighborhood, it was impossible to think about. Is it was impossible not to think about like every day constantly. And one of my escapes was playing video games. I was able to say, nobody's gonna call the police on me <laughs> while I'm playing this video game. While I'm walking to the bodega on the Upper East Side, that might happen. Someone might call the police and we might have an instance of bias or brutality or whatever the case might be. And um, gaming for me has consistently provided me with more control over my life and how I'm perceived than society has. And there is so much freedom there. Uh, I also wanna share that a friend of mine from high school is married now with a child to a woman that he met through gaming online that lived in a different country. He was in Panama, she was in Canada, and they met online gaming, completely fell for each other, then started video chatting, and then they flew somewhere like mutual, like Miami or something to meet, and, um, started building a relationship from, from there. And now he lives in Canada with her, they're married and they have a baby. And so lots of people all over the world have been building community and finding community through video gaming. And I am really excited to bring that element into the play. And I think it's essential for Jonas as it was essential for the um, friend of mine that I interviewed and then whose story inspired me to write this play as well okay what's this video game where people can meet boyfriends and husbands i'll have to ask this was this was maybe about 10 15 years ago but um you know i think what i'm gonna get the name and i'm gonna send it to you it's the only thing i haven't tried so i'm willing <laughs> Uh, Victoria, I, I, a few years ago, I actually went to the Empire Experience, and <gasps> yeah, and I was like, okay, there's like booze and like a play, like of course I'm interested, and I was, it was so, it made total sense when I saw that you were directing this because you are a master at creating like experiences that go just beyond the stage, more immersive, like experiential pieces, and how if at all, like, was it different, like maybe doing the, something like the Empire Experience or some other immersive production and then doing uh, Black Feminist video game? Because it is a totally immersive experience, except we're home, alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think um, Amparo uh, definitely prepped me for this in many ways. So that's the good part. And then Black Feminist Video Game has totally made me rethink process um, because and how much we take theater for um, for granted. Because I can make a change really fast, um, really fast in a theater set, right? Like it was so easy throughout Amparo to be like, OK, no, just say this thing to the actors, switch this, guide them over here, vamp over here, do this. And then it was just a change that night. 
That can't happen in this one because literally a change takes nine hours because we would have to go back to the video game. The video game has to code things. Sitting down with Che and watching the coding happen. And I'm like, hey, I actually need this and this and this to happen. And then that would take a really long time to make, right? Then Julia has to get it, time it out, space it out. And then the actors can start interacting. So a change um, has to be really well thought out Oh, like really well thought out. And we have to look at all of the outcomes. Um, the good thing that live immersive has taught me is like uh, learning that time to let the audience just experience it and not feel the stress of constantly being guided. Um, people enjoy that too. A friend of mine watched the opening night last night and said, um, actually it was Vanessa who wrote Amparo. She said, I forgot how fun it is to watch just people play. And it's like, that's right. Just letting people experience that moment and let those moments happen is part of the experience. So I think that that's what both have taught me. And, um, and the way I explain Black Feminist video game is like, it's a braid. And so you can't move. It's not like write the script, rehearse it, tech it, it's up. It's like, write the script, rehearse it, write the script, start teching it, write the script, bring like every single piece is talking to each other. Um, and that's what makes it come to life. I think I legit cried <laughs> the day that we saw like the first huge art cap. And I was like, Oh my God, there's a play. It's here. <laughs> it was a very emotional moment. <laughs> Welcome to level one. The forest of feminist eggs. You have 30 minutes remaining. <laughs> It really is a forest. Yeah, it's pretty dense. Oh, let's see. Beware. Experiencing the compounded effects of different inequalities may cause dizziness, nausea, blindness, numbness, Level or even one. death. Hmm. Oh, what's that? It looks like... Yeah. Wait, what's that? My awesome chopping. Nope, shh. Jonah, stop hacking and start listening. And I love that also, like, I've been like thinking about this a lot, how the very word that we use to describe, you know, a theater piece, a play, it's about playing, it's about games. And I wonder if there were any elements for the two of you, since this was like uh, something unlike anything you've done before, were there elements where that almost tile-like wonder came to play, to keep using that word? I think one of the reasons why we are paired so well together is because when I was first working with Victoria on the reading, I felt like I was a little kid again playing dress up with my sister. I have an, an older sister, we're only 14 months apart. So we're very close and we're kind of like twins-ish. Um, though she likes to remind everybody that she's older. Um, we would, play pretend and play everything from like capture the flag, you know, with each other, just the two of us to, uh, you know, pretend that we were characters from our storybooks. And Victoria and I had a similar dynamic where I would come up with an idea um, and then she would build off of that and then respond with another idea. And that sense of play was always at at its core you know it was always at our core as a team as a as a duo and i think it's something that's also 
um, represented in our dynamic with our with the rest of our creative team, with our producers, and with the cast. There's always that element of play, and um, I think had Victoria not just been as fun <laughs> to play with, there might not have been as much play in the play, you know? And so I'm grateful for that, for that spirit of creativity and, you know, always saying yes. And as we learn in improv, you know, that Victoria has, I appreciate it. Well, I mean, the thing goes the other way. I, I think that, um, I always have a, I always imagine what it's like for playwrights uh, to just like spend all this time creating this world and then handing it off to someone else. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I can't imagine what it's like to deliver, like to be like, hi, here's my baby. And I'm going to be open to you just, you know, to, to do what you need to do with it. And then it, it is pressure on, on another hand, but Daryl on the same wavelength was like, what's right for the project is what's right for the project. Um, and giving openness and like giving room for improv and having those conversations of like, what if it's this, what if it's that? Hey, technology doesn't let us do that. What if we, what if we do this? Um, he made a song, like a legit song. There is a track and I dance to it. Like that is what's, that's what the, the nature of the of the project um what it has in it and it has not been breezy i like i know that you know now when we're kind of out of the storm we can say like oh it was great but it, it hasn't been easy in creativity just because of how um intense the project is but because there was element of play and there was room from Daryl, room from from the team to just be like, hey, I trust you. Toss your idea in there. Let's put it together. Because it wasn't trying to control. Um, that's what I think gave breath to the project and let it be what it was. And I think it does also start with the playwright and you know, not being like it has to be this way, which is a lot of pressure. <laughs> I was I was very touched by the fact that you know Jonas is a black man, but then at the same time he's trying to learn the worth of black women. And I couldn't help but think about it. Like, you know, like I, I was thinking right now about Beyonce, but even Whoopi Goldberg did an interview recently where she said something along the lines of older black women are gonna be the people who save the world. And at the same time, they're probably the most oppressed people in the world. And I really loved how despite this as Jonas's experience, you know, like learning experience, it's not a play that's like going like, you know, like this is the lesson and you have to learn this and all that. But can you talk about the nuances that came into play for you to be able to make both points that, you know, like, sure, it's okay for people to learn and to be better, but at the same time, you know, like black women are being murdered. And there was a Breonna Taylor mention and the reference in play and all that. And it's, it almost feels like we're moving too slow and while we're just waiting, well, many people are just waiting for black women, so to speak, to save them. No one's like protecting them or like caring for them or like trying to educate themselves about how to create a world where black women are also safe. You know, I think, I think that that's, that's a fantastic question, Jose. And it's one that we continue to contemplate. And it's one that I don't have the answer to and one that 
Um, Jonas doesn't have the answer to either. And what I, what I've walked away with from my experiences reading, you know, the work of Kimberly Crenshaw and Patricia Hill Collins and Audre Lorde and myriad other black feminist scholars, womanist writers, um, is that it's going to be always be a lot of work but that work can also bring joy and that work can also be joyful. And it's, and that's really what I want everyone to walk away with after they watch this play, that we all need to work together to figure this out, how we can center black women, how we can be more inclusive, how we can help prevent the murders of black trans women as well, right? Why it's important to bring those who killed Breonna Taylor to justice. I don't have all of those solutions, right? But I know that it's important. And I think that as a community that includes everyone in this world, we can work together to figure out, you know, how to save it. And so, um, Black women are saving the world. And I don't think that they should have to do that alone. Think about that Breonna Taylor reference. One of the things that's almost kind of like, uh, I, I would say like one of the pros of pandemic era theater is that theater can react and theater makers can react to what's happening in the world almost in quote unquote real time, right? So knowing that you have this power to be able to like introduce things that are happening in the news, in the world, in your community and put them in your, the work that you're doing. How do you know then when the work is set or is the idea of a frozen show something that's not going to be important during this era of digital theater? Mm, that's a really good question. I think, I think that, um, I mean, it's up to the playwrights, I think, of how current we want to keep things moving. But I also think that something that theater has never been able to do is capture a moment in time the way that film does, right? Like, uh, film's able to say, like, this was this date, this time, in this moment. Um, like, this is like a horrible example, but Three Penny Opera was something when it was written, and it means something else now. And we can't, we actually can't tell what it was then. And so... Every time, it's funny that you bring up the Breonna Taylor moment because it's the one that get, hits me still like, oh, we're still there. Like it's it's the one that's like, oh, like, you know, this happened at the, even before Daryl and I met um, and even started uh, on this project. And the fact that it's still current uh, right now when it should feel, you know, I was hoping Weirdly, I was like, I was hoping we were going to have a problem. I was hoping that that Daryl had to change it, um, and it and it hasn't changed, and it's still poignant. And what I what I think is a benefit is that hopefully, when sooner rather than later, when um, people do get convicted, we'll be able to watch this moment again. We'll be able to watch this play, and it can evolve if it wants to, and it can do what it needs. But we can watch the iterations and how it's, and we can track the change uh, through digital theater. 
Um, but we have to keep going to see what it's going to look like. <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons that I love theater is because it has the potential to be different every night. And in that way, the actors are always responding to news of the day, which can include the audience's reactions to their performance. It can also include, um, you know, everything that they walk into the theater thinking about. And I think the online experience that we've created with this play allows them to do that and so much more because they actually have the space to interact with folks in the chat, to respond to questions that people are asking, right? And to update the script in a way and keep it fresh so that it's always in the now and that it is different every night. I wonder if like, obviously there's no such thing as like a replacement for like the energy and the transference of energy that you have when there's like, you know, like people in the same room, right? But I wonder if for the actors and also for you, because I saw you, Daryl, like you were also in the chat the other day. I wonder if the chat and the interactive aspect of the play in any way kind of like, maybe not replaces, you know, that energy, but have you found something different, uh, something that you enjoyed, something that gives you something, I don't know, like uh, similar, but not the same as you would if you were in a live space together? I actually think it's, uh, it's it, it actually is the same. Uh, <laughs> and that's something that has surprised me. I was like, this is how you know that energy is real and that um, it probably is quicker when we're all in the same space together because we're breathing the same room. Um, but my, my favorite, chat is the chat that's behind the scenes while people are chatting and they're like oh my god this chat is on fire and and they feel it like I was mind blown the first time we had an audience and that you there's always something that happens to actors that they like turn on when they have an audience and it happened I was like oh it, it I forget that they're in a room by themselves but they they turn on and they're with them and they're feeling that energy and what's actually fantastic is that we can see their their thoughts in the moment something that we can't do in, in real theater space we can see like there's these moments that we have we've always had questions like will they get this will they get that and then they're saying it they're legitimately saying it in the moment that they feel it and you're like oh it's happening it's it's happening and energy is super real and it does transcend the zoom camera I am, I am going to write a thesis on that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because I was also thinking, obviously, I don't know how to act. I'm not a performer in any way, but I was, when in the video game, it's almost like a choose your adventure kind of video game, right? So like we get to help tell Jonas what to do and what paths to take and all of that. And it made me think a lot about how actors have to do that like a thousand million, I don't know math, but a, a million times probably in the moment, like every time that they're making a decision to move somewhere to the tone they're going to use, it's almost like pick your adventure with the actors. And I wonder if the actors have commented on any parallels between the video game and also the process of performing. I, I think that, um, and I hope this answers the question properly, but I, I think that what we trained them, um, we trained them to be as much as they can in the moment and we we threw them through some like loops 
We threw our stage manager in a loop. We threw them off as much as we could. We were way meaner than the audience actually is. Like now watching it, I was like, wow, we, you know, the audience is way nicer. But I think that the element of performance and what they bring uh, to the table every night is similar. And, and in many ways, they have more freedom, because which is scary. It's actually much scarier for actors. I, 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 keep, I keep realizing this every time that I'm like, oh, an actor wants to do is like say their own lines. I'm like, no, they don't. They really don't. They don't want to do that. Mm-mm. They, they actually want guidance. And every time that I've seen, you know, that we've, that I've seen actors who have a script and then have to find a way to get around to come back, give them that agency. It's a, it's a beautiful process because you start seeing them digest the information and actually get deeper into the character than they would if they just had one scene, one line um, and going. So I think the performance gets deeper uh, because of interactivity and how they relate to each other. I hope that answered the question. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there's never like a wrong answer to my questions. Like, I don't even know what I'm asking most of the time. So no right or wrong here. So don't worry about that. I'm curious about, you know, given that you have been, you keep doing art and you have kept doing your work and you have been active as theater makers since the pandemic started. I wonder if there are things or, you know, elements or things that you, uh, I forgot the right word. I'm forgetting my English down here. It's like really confusing. So, and it also like we haven't like broken into the Spanish, which makes me very surprised. But anyway, um, I wonder if there are elements of doing theater and being artists and just being human beings during this pandemic that you flat out refuse to give up or let go of when uh, theaters reopen and people start gathering community again? Well, one of the things that I've learned is um, how to incorporate more anti-racist practices into the rehearsal space. And that's something that I would like to take you know, back into the community uh, when theaters reopen. Um, and um, I have been so inspired by how we've been able to make this interactive by using technology. And I'm interested in finding other projects where that's also a possibility. Uh, as somebody who's from Panama, and who still has family there and friends all over the world. It's really important to me that my work continue to be accessible. And so much of work that I do in theater is not because folks have to buy what can sometimes be an expensive ticket to New York, stay in an expensive hotel, you know, and eat lots of expensive food because New York is literally one of the most expensive cities on the planet. And it's also the home of most theater in the United States. Um, and I am really excited by how technology has continued to make the, this work accessible. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it was important for us to also have um, a price point that is less than 20 bucks. That is a little bit outside of my um, scope as the playwright to set ticket prices, but I did voice uh, the importance of that to the civilians, and I'm excited that they were able to set up um, 
really affordable ticket prices with the box offices of the various theaters across the nation that are supporting the project because accessibility is very important to me and I've you know always thought that there should be um, Broadway theaters in the Bronx you know in Brooklyn there's no reason why it all needs to be in 42nd Street and um, from what I understand taking it out of those traditional Broadway houses that are owned by just a small, tiny group of people could also help make tickets more affordable. And so affordability, accessibility uh, continue to be important to me. I'm excited that we were able to achieve that with this play. And I would like to achieve that with more plays and more projects going forward as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I second all of that because I think... Um, what this does, it has opened to new audiences. Also, people can be in Seattle. Like, I love that Daryl can be in Seattle right now. You can be in Honduras right now. And I can be here in Miami. And that uh, conversation can be happen, happen. Meetings can happen. Tech can happen. Think Those things can happen. I think that when we come back to a a real world, I would hope that time is something that we can gain. Producing, there's like two way, get it up, tech it and go. Um, and that's because of cost. Uh, so I'm hoping that we can find ways for time to be allotted for us to play. And that's from a totally selfish artist standpoint, but that we are allowed to do our job, not create a product. That's something that I've seen a lot lately, like but prior to the pandemic, it was a lot of like, create a product, go. And there is no exploration. There is no like, let's try something new. And now because we all had time, <laughs> you know, we, we were in rehearsal for, for a while, but we've been talking about this project for a year and it's gone through different iterations of how we could do it. And time I do think is, is needed uh, and to create, to create fun uh, experiences did such a good job raising you why are you having trouble raising up others and what do you see here sabine walking home look harder i see sabine playing her switch daryl and victoria thank you so much for joining me would you like to tell our listeners or viewers where they can find Black Feminist Video Game, and anything and everything else that you're working on these days? Well, the preview for Black Feminist Video Game happened on April 27th, which just happened to also be the publication day of my poetry chapbook, Migrant Psalms, that dropped that day. And um, it is the winner of the Drinking Gourd Poetry Prize and was released by Northwestern University Press. Check it out if you're interested in poetry. It's still National Poetry Month, so no excuses. Um, and I have a full-length collection dropping in February from Notre Dame Press, which was the winner of the Andres Montoya Poetry Prize from Letras Latinas. Uh, and you can find tickets uh, for the show at various partners. Victoria, do you want to share who those sure. partners are? We have uh, the Civilians. You can find uh, tickets with at the Civilians website, um, as well as Center Theater Group and OSF 
over in Ashland. Uh, those three partners are um, selling tickets, showing it across the country, and it is amazing. I guess we technically have a three, like a rolling world premiere, uh, Daryl. <laughs> yeah, a rolling world digital premiere. <laughs> yeah. um, and the project was also co-commissioned by Lafayette College as well. Um, and 59 East, 59 as well, right? Yes. So there's been a lot of support that we've had. Um, on my personal end, uh, if people want to go over to Abre Camino Collective, that is my company with Vanessa Garcia, we are, there's a couple of projects brewing that are coming up. And so if you want to follow us there and keep up with that, and also you should just follow Daryl at Black Boy Travel Joy and <laughs> me at It's Vicky Ling. Um, and you should listen to this, continue listening to this <laughs> show. Um, but you should follow us one because we're fun on Instagram and also because this relationship isn't over and great fun stuff is coming. Definitely. I love that. Muchas gracias. And break a leg, mucha mierda during this digital premiere world extravaganza thing. And thank you both for joining me. <laughs> gracias, Jose. Gracias. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 